One of the most important things to happen to Christian advocacy and religious liberty in this nation in recent decades has been the arrival and growth of the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, first under Jim Wallace, then under Lyle Shelton, most recently under Martin Isles, and now under the leadership of Michelle Pearce. I'm joined today by Michelle Pearce of the Australian Christian Lobby, and we're going to talk about the new vision and energy that she has for the energy of the organisation moving forward uh, in 2023 and future. But it leads me to ask the question, what does non-partisan mean? My ministry, the church and state conferences and events are designed to teach Christians uh, how to influence politics in a way that honors God and is biblically faithful. Uh, but does that mean we don't take sides? I do teach that we should be non-partisan. And of course, the Australian Christian Lobby uh, needs to be, credibly, non-partisan as well. But when one side, in particular, constantly and repeatedly seeks to undermine God, erode his word, attack the things that God designed, created and implemented, such as family, sexuality, marriage, uh, and so many other things as well, the sanctity of life, uh, then you have to ask the question, how non-partisan can you be? And here's what I think the important definition of non-partisan is. No blind party loyalties. Our loyalty as Christian voters should be to God, to the kingdom of God, to righteousness. And that is what real justice and liberty is. And what better thing for our nation than justice and liberty? So if one side is constantly betraying justice and liberty, and the other side is less frequently betraying justice and liberty. Well, for a start, there's a lot of work to do for Christians so that we can get both sides constantly advocating instead of attacking justice and liberty. But it is important that we remain undecided until we assess each policy and each candidate on their merits for how they calibrate to or align with the justice and liberty of the kingdom of God. That's righteousness, that's morality, that's ethics. Uh, and these are the principles that we find in wisdom and authority in scripture. And so we actually can take a position and be nonpartisan because our loyalty isn't to a party or person, but to the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus taught us to do in Matthew 6.33. He didn't say, seek first the kingdom of your favorite political party. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you care about and chase after and need to worry about, they'll actually be added unto you by God. And that's the way we actually started this nation. In the preamble to the constitution, Australians and politicians popularly in 1901 chose to put in the phrase, uh, we the people in not those words, humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God, resolve to, and, and that's the point, the reliance on God, his kingdom, his righteousness, our humility beneath him is the right foundation and the right priority because everything else can follow after that. Right now, I'm gonna be joined by Michelle Pierce, so don't go anywhere. This is the Church and State Show, and I'm Dave Pellow. May all that you stand for, and that we stand for, 
be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country, it is a free country. Michelle Pierce, welcome to the Church and State Show. Thank you for having me. Now, congratulations on the role, and um, it's uh, you've you've been quite a few places already, and um, uh, articulating um, some really great Orthodox Christian values. Your speech at CPAC was very well given and very well received. Um, how did you feel it went? Yeah, it was my first experience speaking at that kind of conference, a conservative conference, and many of the people in the audience weren't weren't Christians, and we're the Australian Christian lobby. And I felt it went it went really well uh, because I was able to speak about those issues that I knew you know everyone in the room will agree with me on. But I thought everybody in this room agrees with freedom and to be able to be able to speak what you believe. And so I think just because I said it, there was a, a, a resounding uh, you know agreement in the room for the fact that I had the freedom to speak about things like abortion and gender, um, even though people might not be aligned exactly with, with where I stand on it. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Now, Warren Mundine and Andrew Cooper, uh, great gentlemen, uh, and they're very, very, um, very keen to be allied with the Christian constituency for achieving good policy outcomes in the nation. So uh, good on you for accepting the invitation and um, and for fearlessly uh, saying the things that you did and asserting um, those true and, and good values. Uh, tell me, uh, many people uh, are hoping and praying that uh, ACL will recover from the uh, skip in the step um, at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, and continue on to do great and flourishing things uh, here in Australia. Um, what's your vision um, and where is the direction of ACL uh, going uh, over the next, uh, let's say, one to three years? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, my, my vision or passion, as you, you could say, comes from a position of hope that I really do believe that things can change and things can shift in this nation. And that's not just a vain hope. First, it's a hope in mm. Jesus Christ and our message of reconciliation, but also historical examples where we where in the past we've seen nations turn when they have become really dark places. And so I want to engage in the process, you know, as the leader of Australian Christian Lobby, engage in the political process to see our laws begin to shift. And I think especially on issues like gender affirmation and how far we've gone on those sorts of issues, uh, that nations around the world are beginning to realise their mistake and we can begin to wind back those those laws and working in politics with, you know, with the politicians, especially with those on our side, I believe that we can provide the necessary support to be able to see those things shift. So Australian Christian Lobby plays a, a really integral, significant part in the nation to be able to form a strategy around seeing these sorts of laws as well as others shift. And we know it takes time, but we're really committed to that process. Um, and if we do nothing, then nothing will happen. And so, so we, we do believe good will happen. That, yes, that's right. No, that's right. And we do believe that with our engagement, we'll see, we'll begin to see things shift. 
So is there any um, particular substantial differences? Um, like I understand, uh, are we going back to state directors with just one state for the, for the large part or will the roles still be shared a bit? Yeah, no, I, I think that it's really important that each state has a state director that's able to build those relationships directly into their, their parliaments to get their head around what the laws are and how those laws could change, as well as have relationship with church networks and our supporters and, and you know, uh, volunteers on the ground as well. And so um, under Martin, he had a, a state director that was overseeing a few states. And so one of the changes I've made since coming on board is ensuring we have a, a state director employed in every state to maximise the, uh, the, the, the time and the effectiveness given to lobby directly into the state. And there are so many issues in every state and it really does need that committed person to build that rapport with the church and the politicians yeah. to see change and develop their own state strategy. So um, we now, at the moment, we have um, a full-time state director in uh, Western Australia, in Queensland, in New South Wales and Victoria. Uh, we're advertising for a Tasmanian state director and we've just appointed somebody in South Australia who's due to start in January next year. So we're on track to getting there. Brilliant. And can you tell me how Wendy's and Chris's um, role is changing? Because uh, Chris here is speaking with you at the upcoming uh, Adelaide Church and State Conference. Is he the state director for Adelaide or is he, um, for South Australia, I'm sorry, or is he moving to a more national role? Yeah, Chris, Christopher is absolutely incredible and has such uh, great is, knowledge yeah. on public policy around the nation. He's got networks everywhere. And what I saw in Christopher is he's got a real passion to change law and he comes from a, a legal background and, mm. and he's a specialist in the area of public policy. And with my focus on the detail of, of really getting our heads around the laws and how we can form a strategy to change them, I needed a, a national role that was uh, specifically dedicated to forming their strategy and working with Christian mm. politicians and even research organisations that are looking into the issues around the nation to come up with this coordinated strategy. And so I've appointed Christopher as the head of head of public policy. And so he'll be moving out of Brilliant. being a state director to give it that focus, hence why we've appointed somebody else in, in uh, South Australia because he was actually looking after South Australia, Northern Territory and Tasmania. Um, so he's going to be doing that and uh, we've changed the state director role. So I'm just so pleased to have Christopher on team. He's really incredible. And, and Wendy is, uh, as you asked as well, she's the National Director of Politics and that's our main game. That's what we do. Uh, so she works with the state directors to ensure that they're equipped and resourced as well as uh, she's looking into the federal parliament as well and she's just developed great relationships. Um, so she, she networks with the politicians there and develops our national campaigns as well. So you're very much gearing up um, for a... a Refocused, reconcerted effort to uh, represent and, and lobby into the parliaments um, around Australia. Um, I love having the state leaders um, at the church and state conferences that I do where I do because I think it's really important, um, really, as the peak Christian lobby group in Australia, um, that people, the people that are coming to my conferences, get as much opportunity as possible to do something to actually. Uh, put their name on a mailing list and, and be kept informed of what things they can uh, be a little bit more vocal, a little bit more informed, a little bit more concerned about. 
uh, and what actions that they can take. What kind of direction uh, have you got in mind? Any sneak previews of grassroots campaigns that people can get involved in? Um, over, like, how is that grassroots army going to be developed and and deployed mm. over coming elections and years? Sure, and I, I think the beauty of being a, a new CEO is just taking a fresh look at, at everything. And yeah, um, and it's so a great opportunity. Yeah, it really is. And so I've been talking a lot to our field team and uh, and, and and our supporters while I've been uh, going around to the nation as well and trying to really work out how can we most effectively utilize our volunteers on the ground for political effectiveness and that's the real key we've got to we've got to be effective in what we do and so at the moment what i'm seeing is that um it's so uh it's so important that we have volunteers in every electorate in the nation that when there's a call to action they're able to respond and um and and do the things we're asking them to do knowing that the what we're asking them to do we're only asking them to do it because we believe it's going to be effective and it's going to have a, a result on the outcome and and also around the nation to uh, move people to within each electorate to pray and to build relationship with their member of parliament and so I would love to see um, come to a point where we know we have somebody solid in every electorate that's building relationship with the MP that has a group of volunteers yeah. that's ready to act <clears throat> Whether it's phone their MP, visit their MP, um, or alert the churches in that area when it when it counts, and so we're going to be very strategic in the way that we use our field team. And but the agenda is going to be um, political outcomes to achieve political effectiveness. Working with Labor, uh, you know, my conference to to uh, not be accusatory at all. Uh, I'm in the same boat. I get accused of being partisan by some Christians. Sadly, um, I don't think. Uh, the unbelievers are confused about this at all. But, um, you know, I get accused sometimes of being uh, partisan for mostly having right of centre speakers on stage. Um, and the reality is that I do reach out to and invite left of centre politicians. For example, a pro-life Labor politician in uh, Western Australia, uh, incumbent in office at the moment, was invited to speak and uh, sadly wasn't able to accept that invitation. The fact is that what I look for isn't left or right, but people who are aligned with biblical values and the kingdom of God, because that is the Christian's brief to promote in the public square, salt and light, city on a hill. Um, it seems like fairly basic stuff, um, but it is kind of uh, hard to engage with people who are aggressively not just rejecting but attacking Christian values such as the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life. Um, what kind of hopes or progress do you think there, there can be in rebuilding uh, connections and conversations with those left of centre in either major or minor parties uh, in the Australian Christian lobby's role around the nation and states? Yeah, I think I think with anything, it's built on the ability to uh, have a have a discussion, have a conversation, have a you know even a, a a working relationship in a sense with people on all sides of politics because they might not align with you on some issues, but on others they might not might be more on side. And where you can uh, make headway in a conversation on an issue, uh, then then that can be on both sides of politics. So I mean, I'm genuinely non-party partisan and um, and happy to work across with whoever will see us wherever there's an open door we'll go and talk to people and see whether we 
can, uh, you know, move ahead in our in our agenda um, for changing the laws. And so, um, and, and I think at ACL, sometimes it is difficult to hold that line if, if Labor's proposing something that's absolutely horrific and dangerous. And so we'll make mm. a big loud noise and we'll say, this is a really bad idea. Um, but when it comes to vote, that's the a sacred space for a Christian to be able to really balance and weigh that up. Um, and I always encourage people to vote for the candidate um, not so to know who the candidates are in their region uh, rather than Brilliant. a party. And um, and that's really important to do Agreed. and that's how I vote. Mm. Yeah, I think the confusion uh, some people have between partisan and non-partisan is timing um, because everybody votes on election day and I'm not sure that that makes everybody partisan. Um, but mm. you're able to make up your mind well before election day, identify the best arguments, the best ideas, the best policies or the best people on any given side of uh, important public issue. And so if you decide, let's say, a month out from a referendum or an election, uh, which is the most compatible with your conscience, convictions and the kingdom of God, and it doesn't make you partisan by campaigning uh, for the better outcome, um, as, as you know. So, yeah, it's good to... Um, it's good to have those conversations and, and then advocate, I guess, publicly for the, the best one. My guest right now is uh, Michelle Pierce, the CEO of the Australian Christian Lobby, and she will be my guest speaker on Friday night at the Church and State Adelaide Conference. Uh, that's coming up on the 6th and 7th of, of October. It's a Friday and Saturday uh, two-day conference with about a dozen or more high-caliber speakers covering a broad range of issues. Uh, Michelle, in South Australia, we've seen that they've had a really good amendment to their uh, abortion policies there. Um, yet at the same time, the same amendment, which uh, um, makes so much sense in South Australia, is being fiercely rejected by the campaigners, both Liberal and Labor, uh, for extreme abortion reforms, so-called reforms in the wrong direction, uh, in Western Australia. Tell us uh, a little bit about the issue in, in Western Australia and what people can do to lobby for a better outcome there. Yeah, I mean, sadly, we've seen the Upper House uh, reject a number of the amendments that, that we were really advocating and lobbying them to pass. Mm -hmm. And that's really an indictment on on the um, the Labor Party uh, who refused to um, to support these. And that was the line throughout the party that they, they were instructed not to support these amendments. And these were things like protecting babies who survive abortions. We know that's a real issue that babies do survive abortions. Um, and we want to yeah. see some guidelines or mandatory um, recommendations in how to look after these babies. And and that was voted against uh, gender selection abortions. Um, we propose that that should be illegal. They should be able to abort on the basis of the child's gender. Yeah, that was rejected. Um, mandatory counselling, you know, when a, when a woman wants to have an abortion, especially at a later stage, that there's a requirement for her to get counselling. And that was rejected. And so we're seeing these um, uh, amendments that you would really think would any ordinary, you know, person or common sense thinking person would, um, would support these, um, not only for the sake of the baby, but for the sake of the woman as well. But they were flat out rejected and it, it's, it's, it's really tragic despite all of our action mm. and prayer. So we've just got to continue.
continue to work on it. We, we can't um, take our hands off the abortion issue. And um, we do see hope in other nations where they're winding things back. Uh, that's what needs to happen. That's what we're committed to. The abortion issue is still alive federally as well. Uh, a lot of a lot of MPs, um, federal MPs, will say, "Oh, that's a state issue." Um, especially, I know on on the side that I prefer to vote for normally, which is right of centre, the uh, Liberal National um, MPs will often uh, dismiss it if they're uncomfortable calling it a uh, a state issue. And and of course that's true, but it's also a federal issue because, uh, well, for a start, abortion is funded by Medicare, which is a federal policy. Um, tell me about ACL's support for the Babies Born Alive legislation, uh, which is uh, hopefully going to be tabled soon in the federal parliament. Yeah, sure. And um, and first of all, as I said before, we know that this is a, a reality. There's actually statistics recorded in two states that show that there's been over 700 babies uh, within the last 10 years that have suffered this fate of being born alive and left to die. Uh, there was a whistleblower in Queensland, actually, who shared her experience of uh, witnessing mm. this or hearing about this happening from her colleagues. Uh, one of the babies she mentioned survived for five hours with no medical care. And so mm. it is absolutely tragic. And so to see a, a, a catch all in regards to uh, mandating uh, care for these babies. It should happen at the federal level. Uh, it should actually be covered in the criminal code, and it is. You, you, you can't just leave somebody to die without caring for them when it's in your power to act that standard. However, it's not being done, and so that's why there needs to be some mandatory requirements at the federal level to ensure that life-saving measures are given, particularly for those whose AGPA scores are good for the babies that, that have the capacity to survive, that everything should be done to save them, just like pre maturely babies are but those there's many that are born alive that that aren't uh that don't have the capacity for life so they'll take a few breaths uh, but still during those minutes that they're alive there should be mandatory guidelines to make sure that their passing is peaceful even if it's basic pain relief or palliative care measures to be provided to those you know little babies so it is tragic it's very sad it's very hard to come to grips with that this happens in our nation um but the government absolutely must act and um, this bill is currently in the Senate and they're considering it at the moment. Uh, we'll see where it goes. If it doesn't pass, we'll just have to continue to push like we do on all of the issues. And sticking with federal politics, uh, there was a, a push for an inquiry into the suitability or appropriateness or harms more, more accurately being uh, done in the medical industry by the gender affirmation uh, course of therapies. Um, has ACL got uh, any appetite to revisit that now that some three years and a lot of evidence has um, been experienced in the intervening time? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we, we submitted a or tabled a petition in Parliament last year and we only just received a response just last week. Actually, we were calling an inquiry into these gender uh, treatment practices for, for young people. The government refused an inquiry, saying that the Royal Australian Council of Physicians in 2020 said that an inquiry would be harmful. Now, we know a lot has happened since 2020. Uh, we know that there's an increasing number of children 
being prescribed puberty blockers. And we know that the advice to those children is to start puberty blockers as soon as possible, better before you even start puberty to ensure that the transition is successful. So it's crazy to think that we would be allowing 11-year-olds to make decisions that affect their future fertility, uh, their future sexuality, when they're still forming their their identity and who they are. Uh, it's ridiculous that we're allowing this. And we, we see, again, other nations moving away from this model of gender affirmation therapy, but we seem to be uh, deepening our commitment to it, uh, especially in the New South Wales conversion therapy proposal and Victoria conversion therapy, where it already is uh, already is law there, where parents, mm. teachers, the medical profession, it's illegal to question a child's decision to change genders or to encourage them uh, the other way. Everything has to be affirmation, uh, which is just a, 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 it's a, it's ridiculous. It's harmful. Uh, and the, any reasonable person would be against such a proposal. It truly is absurd that anybody would think a child under the age of 16 has any idea who they are or what they will be or do with their life or the things that they might want five years later, or, you know, when their teens are finished. No, no 16-year-old knows what 21 is like uh, and the things that they will be yearning for uh, in, in their 20s and 30s, and let alone an 11-year-old. It's just yeah. absurd, preposterous yeah, thinking that's... that's right. Mm. And one other yeah. thing is that it is, um, there's actually a thousand uh, children on the waiting list at the moment for gender in gender clinics. Uh, so once they get to the gender clinics, they're obviously not questioned but affirmed in their beliefs. Mm. Once they believe that they are uh, the other gender, uh, then that puts them on the road to puberty blockers, medication, and eventually these transitioning surgeries, which alters their body forever. There's no, no going back from that. I know you've just come from England, having uh, spent some many years there, um, and uh, I was speaking to some Americans recently, and and they're shocked at the lack of Christianity in this nation. Not just the authoritarianism and the overregulation in society, but actually the lack of even people who go to church um, compared to where they'd come from, mm. uh, which is not a picture of America that we see in the media and mm. and Hollywood. Uh, what's it like in England, um, the, I guess, the Christianity of the culture or the Christianization of the culture? Is it more or less Christian than the Australian experience? That's right. And a lot of people look to England and they think, oh, it's worse, you know, in America. And they think, oh, it must be worse over there. But, but really it isn't. Um, each each area is quite different in London. It's so diverse. We lived in southwest London mm. um, around Fulham and next to us is Chelsea. People will probably be familiar with that area. And it's still quite uh, quite conservative. Uh, the, the gender teaching isn't as uh, uh, pushed with such an aggressive agenda. Um, well, that was our experience in the schools that my children attended. It still is present, but it, there's not an aggressive push. There's not a celebration of Pride Week and things like that in the, in the Church of England schools. Now, what's interesting there is that the state funds uh, Church of England schools. So you can get a semi-Christian education, but the state funds it. And even mm -hmm. though a lot of the Christ the, the, the uh, teachers aren't Bible-believing Christians, they still operate from that Christian ethos. And so still in, in the assemblies, they sing Christian songs and they'll have a Christian emphasis in their teaching. 
And so that was quite surprising for me to see that Christianity is still very much uh, alive and well in the in the UK. Uh, there, there is similar issues to us in terms of people being taken to to the courts uh, because of not affirming gender. So, so they still are facing a battle over there. But generally, mm. uh, it seems like the people who attend church is a lot higher. Uh, I, I, I would doubt the understood that, that there is a thorough understanding of what it means to be a true Christian disciple. Um, however, attending church on a Sunday, their local parish is um, quite a common thing, whereas in Australia, it's it's a lot more rare than that. My guest in this episode is Michelle Pierce, the CEO of uh, Australian Christian Lobby, and she will be one of the many guest speakers of high calibre at this year's Church and State Conference in Adelaide. That's the 6th and 7th of October coming up now, just uh, days away, uh, and seats are selling rapidly. So grab your tickets right now from churchandstate.com.au and uh, full details of the program speakers uh, will be there. Uh, returning to South Australia, Michelle, uh, what is happening in South Australia regarding prostitution? Uh, you mentioned Christopher Bro here before, and I understand he's behind a, a brilliant innovation um, and uh, is optimistic about some success for this legislation there. Yeah, that's right. When, when I was I just going back, when I was the WA State Director about 15 years ago, we were facing this issue in the WA Parliament where they were proposing reforms to uh, decriminalise prostitution. But through the research that we did at the ACL um, and what was what we saw happening around the world is wherever you decriminalise, you become a haven for human traffickers, for human sex traffickers, and sex trafficking increases everywhere where there's a decriminalised prostitution model. So there needs to be a concerted effort against uh, men being able to purchase sex because it is the exploitation of women. So it's a mindset shift in seeing that prostitution isn't a a, a career option or a choice. It's the exploitation of, of women. And therefore, it should be a crime to purchase a woman for sex. And so that's the model that's been adopted in Sweden first and Norway and other uh, countries in that region. And so we've been promoting this for for many, many years and hoping to find a way to see it implemented in one of our state parliaments. And it was actually um, a Liberal member of Parliament in South Australia uh, that has, has taken up the cause and she's drafted the bill. Fantastic. And, and she's introduced this, and so we're really going to put all our efforts and support behind campaigning. The, the uh, firstly, it's the upper house in South Australia to vote and in support of this model, seeing that it is for the good of women in South Australia, and it will it will decrease, you know, the uh, the attractiveness of South Australia to human sex traffickers, and that's what we want. You'll have to uh, invite her to the conference in Adelaide so yeah. she can stand up and we can acknowledge her because that's, that's uh, brave and, and very, very good. It's good to see Liberals being conservative and um, fighting against <laughs> obvious evils like human trafficking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Michelle, where can people go to get involved with the very many campaigns on important public issues that uh, you are leading the Australian Christian Lobby to lobby for uh, in the parliaments around Australia on our behalf? 
Yeah, well, I would encourage everybody to go to our website, acl.org.au, and sign up as a supporter. Uh, there's no charge for that. It simply gives you access to receive our emails. And we just we supply a weekly email where we give some action points of what you can do. Uh, if you're keen after hearing this today and you just think, I want to take some action, you can go to our website, click on the Take Action button, and you can just go through and do all the different things that we've asked people to do on there. Uh, but also, uh, it's great to follow us on social media, AC Lobby on Instagram, and um, and like us as well on, on Facebook. We regularly put updates up there, just keeping people in the loop of different things that are happening during every week in, in politics. There's so much going on. And I know that people are really keen to make a difference and do what they can. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to do quick things, but that have big effect. And can I add my encouragement to people? Uh, do donate. Uh, you know, when the Australian Christian Lobby uh, went through the change of leadership, uh, you know, nine, ten months ago, um, at that particular time, my credit card had expired and uh, I wasn't currently donating and I had to re reconnect it. Um, but that inspired me and catalyzed me. So I made sure I jumped onto the website straight away and renewed my monthly donations to the Australian Christian Lobby because Australia needs Jesus. They need the kingdom of God the gospel of Jesus Christ and right thinking, uh, biblically based policies and values. And there's nobody better at representing that uh, in this nation than the Australian Christian Lobby. In my humble opinion, uh, everybody's doing something in their own way and, and there's many people that we can't do without. But I think this nation would be significantly worse off in the short to medium term uh, without Australian Christian Lobby's presence in the political landscape. So uh, join with me in making sure that they're here for the foreseeable future, God willing, by becoming a monthly partner today. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for the work you're doing, for the impact and the sacrifice it's, uh, you're willingly paying in your life. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in Adelaide. Thank you, David. Thank you for your support. And I really look forward to seeing you there. Well, that's it for this episode of the Church and State Show. Uh, make sure you head to davepello.com to become a monthly supporter or sign up to the newsletter so you can get weekly updates from me. And head to churchandstate.com.au where you can also sign up to updates about coming events. Uh, we've got events coming in new cities where we've never been before, but you won't know if you're not on the mailing list of one of those uh, and make sure you grab tickets to the Adelaide Conference. It is going to be super popular with Senator Jacinta Nampajimpa-Price, uh, Senator Alex Antic, Sarah Game, MLC from One Nation in South Australia, Michelle Pierce, Topher Field, Stephen Shavura, Christopher Bro here, uh, myself, and, and I'm, uh, there's people I've definitely forgotten, and there's more that haven't even been announced yet. So grab those tickets today and tell everybody in South Australia to get there churchandstate.com.au. Uh, well, that's it for this episode. I'm Dave Pello. God bless you and God bless Australia. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we're not afraid of the future.